one of the things that I should have learned by now, but haven't obviously, as those of you who attend these occasions know, is that I should always begin by saying this is Terry Bellinger and that this is the 9th of July, 2008. It seems so obvious at the time, but you'd be amazed what happens 15 years when you find a uh, cassette in a drawer <laughs> and you listen and you listen and you listen for a hint as to when this might have happened. <laughs> With Rare Book School lectures, it's not so difficult because we do keep track of those. This is, we think, Lecture 510. By sometime during the summer of the year 1600, William Shakespeare was the most widely performed dramatist in England, a position that he has never lost. Shakespeare has continued to be the most widely performed playwright in the English-speaking world, I believe without break since the summer of 1600, which is a pretty good record. What is interesting to me, and always has been, is that though Shakespeare died rich in 1616, no one bothered to write a biography of him until 1709, when Nicholas Rowe wrote the first biography of any extent at all as a preface to his edition of Shakespeare published by Thompson in the early 18th century, just about a century after Shakespeare died and a good century after Shakespeare retired. So we have an interesting circumstance. The most widely performed playwright in England was thought to be of so little consequence that no one bothered to write his autobiography for nearly a century. Well, you can see where I'm heading, can't you? Yeah. It would not immediately... <laughs> so, so speaks the Folger. <laughs> uh, baby books seem uh, of considerable indeed profound insignificance to most of us as a genre but as we've been told we're wrong and Russell Johnson from UCLA is going to tell us exactly how we're wrong. It's a pleasure to welcome him to this podium. Thanks Terry. I'd like to dedicate this to my boss, uh, Kathy Donahue, who abandoned, uh, retired uh, just a, a week ago. <laughs> the UCLA Biomedical Library uh, recently started building a collection of 19th and 21st century baby books, that is, memory books in which parents could record a child's activities and developmental milestones, and which provided a place to gather photographs, locks of hair, and other mementos. These are books about babies, not for babies, like the ones you might find in the children's book collections at Princeton, the University of Mississippi, the Osborne Collection in Toronto, Library of Congress, and so forth. The preface, the preface of Baby's Record, a twofold gift for mothers and children, published in Cincinnati in 1889, describes the genre and how it differs from other records of personal information. The design of this little book is to supply a want, though perhaps an unknown one to many. 
Most persons regret that the little items of babyhood, so interesting to the parents at least, pass into oblivion. The book is not intended to be a family record, but an individual one, which will form a part of the outfit of each newcomer in the household, and which can afterward be given to the child to be preserved as a source of interest and entertainment for himself and his own children in after years. The books may be chock full of memories that were written or pasted in, but they usually turned out to be ephemeral or fleeting. They were printed in huge quantities, but like diaries and commonplace books, you don't find them on public library shelves, and few survive their authors' or subjects' lives. Our collection, more than a few isolated examples, is the only known one in a library, available for anyone to consult and use for whatever reasons. In building the collection, we are constantly in competition with a handful of collectors, some of whom are interested in the subject matter and others who, for example, may concentrate on a particular illustrator, Annie F. Cox, in the case of this book, with the swell subtitle, quote, wherein may be chronicled as memories for grown-up days the mother's story of the events happening and incidents attending the progress of the baby, unquote. A historian who used the collection bypassed the illustrations, but was taken instead by the story that was told. The mother died when the baby was five weeks old, and the book was a gift from the grandmother, who then raised the girl. The text at left describes going to the photographic studio to have the, the, this cabinet card portrait taken. That indeed was a red-letter day. That is a particularly significant day, a, a, a term named for the practice of marking feast days in red on manuscript church, uh, Christian church calendars. The category was used for decades in these books, but none illustrated it as literally as this one. Cutting and saving a first lock of hair was a red-letter day, as was the appearance and later the loss of the first tooth. By the way, what is it about collecting teeth? <laughs> the tooth fairy paying for children's first teeth as they wiggle, out and wiggle loose and fall out, that I get. But hanging on to the anatomical relics, not sure. Back to red-letter days and items of personal importance. This laundry list of firsts is heralded by the authors, one of whom is a CPA, as, quote, a monument to the faithful cooperative spirit and parental interest of our fathers and mothers, unquote. Headings cover the entire lifespan here, all the way through presidents and governors supported and my philosophy of life. We tend to encounter books that are either untouched or only partially completed, often without even the name of the baby on the one hand, or extensive, careful labors of love, such as this 1913 volume uh, by Evelyn von Hartmann. This is a record of growth and development, physical measurements, traits, tastes, aptitudes, accomplishments, conduct, momentous events, the memorabilia of birthdays and holidays, and behaviors as they appear and change. Recording the first laugh is one thing, but this girl, born in Waterloo, Iowa in 1913, has to be the happiest baby I've seen in any of these books. Where does a researcher find old baby books? Not in library stacks, as I noted. Before we started buying and cataloging, most would be found only in private hands or in the archive personal papers of folks such as Vogue magazine editor Diana Vreeland, who kept her husband's and her son's now at the New York Public Library. 
Barbara Rutenberg, the Los Angeles History of Medicine antiquarian bookseller, is to blame, or credit, for getting us interested in collecting baby books. She was trying to track down the earliest ones containing individualized medical information, such as Dr. Dunbar Walker's 1884 Parents' Medical Notebook, with its ledgers for tracking a single child's diseases and disorders. At that time, infant mortality was just starting to come under control, and more than two-thirds of newborns survived the perilous first month of life. Barbara gave us this book, and that got us going. And we keep on going and going, especially through eBay. The chief supplier of baby books since World War II, C.R. Gibson, claimed to have invented the first baby book in 1898, Will and Francis Brundage's Our Baby. We've already seen this is incorrect. When I met with their management team at their Nashville headquarters this spring, I broke the news gently. Then I suggested they can still claim to be the longest continuing publishers of the genre, and that's not bad. The magazine Babyhood, devoted exclusively to the care of infants and young children and the general interests of the nursery, had a brief article 10 years earlier, in January 1888, talking about the merits of handmade diaries or publications for keeping, quote, a diary of the more important incidents of each child's growth, unquote. And they cited the mother's register or the mother's record, which were to be found in bookstores. An early standout was Maud Humphrey, a very successful commercial illustrator of more than 200 books and numerous calendars, paper dolls, postcards, valentines, and so forth. You may recognize her because she had a famous son by her surgeon husband, Dr. Bogart, the year after this title came out. And I'm trying to track down that baby book because I, <laughs> I, I, I have to figure it's written in her own book. One of her watercolors is seen on the cover of Daryl Hepner's excellent illustrated catalog and guide to the great baby book illustrators. Humphrey Bogart was not the Gerber baby, by the way, as, he, as was rumored. That product arrived when he was well into adulthood. Did Thomas Jefferson have a baby book? I don't think so. I think it's typical that you have to mention Thomas Jefferson from up here. <laughs> the earliest baby book we found so far is this one from 1882, which Babyhood magazine mentioned, The Mother's Record. A mother used this book to record the physical, mental, and moral growth of a child for the first 15 years. Psychologists were turning their attention to children at that time, but, make, by, but making mental and behavioral development recordings in an anecdotal rather than intensive and comprehensive manner. This book feels like a new, unfamiliar phenomenon because at the beginning is a specimen page showing the manner in which the blanks may be filled out. Note also that down number seven, the, the food the baby takes is Mellon's food the publisher and baby food producer. And so, the, and so the book itself was an advertisement. Melons was an early uh, powdered food product producer. Melons food was to be, to be mixed with cow's milk, which was not routinely pasteurized for another 25 years. As a supplement, melons was promoted, quote, for babies and, inf and for infants and invalids, the only perfect substitute for mother's milk 
keeps in all climates, commended by physicians, unquote. The publisher produced an infant care and feeding guide full of ads and testimonials for Mellon's food, and this trade card instructed a mother how to request a copy. Our researchers are interested by whether a book is used or blank, how much is completed, and how soon the product or how soon the project was abandoned. What information did the author proscribe or guide a parent to record, and how much description and value did the parent add? Here, Peggy's mother was given this pamphlet compliments of the Coolidge Department Store in Scranton, North Dakota. She added a postcard of the hospital and photos of the nurses, her daughter's birth announcement, and congratulations cards and photos. All this packed into a very beat-up little book most other folks would not have given a second look at on eBay, but I did. This 1948 book, designed by Laura Jane Scott for C.R. Gibson with a padded rayon cover, tells the story of a girl born at Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. It includes a letter written a couple of days after she was born from her father to her mother, along with baby formula recommendations from the hospital and the girl's appointment book, tracking visits to the local child health station. Along with baby formula recommendations, This beautifully made-up book by A.O. Kaplan, with illustrations by Francis Brundage, was published in London, printed in Holland, and was used there by a Dutch family. It is chock-full of ephemera, such as birth announcements and telegrams, but what interests us is the weight tracking and feeding instructions on the doctor's letterhead. Collectors may go after the artist here, Bessie Collins Peace Gutman, But in our cataloging, we also point out the public health artifacts in our copy, such as notices from 1914 that the Department of Health's medical inspector regularly visited schools and pointed out problems caused by poor dental hygiene, as well as quarantine permits for a parent to leave and enter a house, and certificates of disinfection for measles in 1913 and scarlet fever in 1923. Jimmy, born in 1914 in Chicago, went through a host of contagious childhood diseases, and we have a record of his experiences with chickenpox, whooping cough, measles, mumps, scarlet fever, and vaccination for smallpox. Now, there could be a backlash to too much information. The foreword to this 1948 book from Hollywood Innovations in Los Angeles reads, quote, The publishers of this book have stringently avoided having any of the contents herein contain any medical, psychological, or other advice as to the upbringing of the child. It is our intent to make it possible for the family to preserve under one cover the important papers and photographs they would like to hand over to the child in later years. They say the gift book of the stars was created by one of Hollywood's most versatile and successful motion picture directors. However, aside from that, all the rest of the leaves are blank. This was published in L.A. after all. (laughs) Buying these scrapbook-like baby books, um, designer Jessica Helfand is really whooping my butt on eBay. (laughs) Once her history of scrapbooks comes out in about a year, we're going to talk shop. I'm going to see what I can get. The Better Babies and Child Studies movement began before the First World War as an effort to educate parents to adequate child care 
hygiene, and sanitation. The idea was that better care and feeding of infants would produce healthier babies, as had been found in livestock. Yes, sheep and cows first, babies second. The first Better Babies contests were held at Louisiana State Fair in 1908, followed by Iowa in 1911. In 1913, the editors of Woman's Home Companion magazine developed a Better Babies Bureau and promoted the contests. The federal government's Children's Bureau campaign to reduce infant mortality included organizing the first National Baby Week in 1915, and you saw a pin from that. And to all American mothers, and all American mothers were encouraged to have their children weighed and measured and to receive child-rearing information. The pinnacle was the Sears Baby Contest at the Chicago's World Fair of 1934. 100,000 honorable mention medals, and so far I've located about a dozen. In better babies contests, children were judged on health and strength, not beauty. This development chart from the Mother's Education Center Baby Week contest was used to show that Robert from Glendale, California, quote, is one of the healthiest and most perfect babies in all of Los Angeles County, unquote. And so, since he was so perfect, he's used in advertisements. You know, got milk? Better Babies drank certified pasteurized milk by 1915. But why stop at Better Babies? Borden Company apparently decided to take it up a notch with a record booklet for your best baby. Keeping track of and comparing vital statistics like height and weight was encouraged and discussed as signs of health. It still is. I mean, don't you look at this uh, postcard and think, 11 pounds, whoa. <laughs> and that was before anesthetics would be used on the mother. There is a correct method for weighing the baby and a not-so-correct one. This book, illustrated by May Farini, is interesting for the cradle roll invitation to the child's first church service. But our researchers got caught up in its two-page spread on the development, health, and illnesses of a Cambridge, Massachusetts girl who was given catnip tea for her colic. I'm not quite sure the story behind these extensive measurements of a Buffalo, New York boy and his siblings, but I point them out to our researchers. Official government publications of the time offered standards by which you could judge the development of your own girl or boy. What we haven't been able to determine yet is how far back the pink for girls and blue for boys dichotomy goes, but that's something we're working on. By the way, aren't these just great portraits? We try to get every edition and variant of all these titles, so researchers may trace how contents change over time. Between 1945 and 1965 in We, Me, this work added space for photographs and a category for special thoughts, while My Baby Hair became first haircut as that event moved outside the home to the barber shop. In these big, century-old books, we see a lot of studio photography. Soon, however, Kodak created a bustling market, encouraging people to take their own photos of their children. Some were quite good, like this one taken by Dad in the flashlight has nice composition and conveys interesting information about weighing babies. 
<laughs> and that's actually a scale with the with the um, basket on top that you could buy at the time. The most beat up books contain the most photos of daily life, real snapshots. Or let me rephrase that beat up comment and we'll call them well handled or well loved. Where did these books come from? Who gave or sold them to the new mother or parents? Well, with this mail order catalog from Lamson Brothers in Toledo, you could get anything to outfit your baby and nursery from fur and eider down carriage rows, which would be a bit much today here in Charlottesville, to diapers, dresses, shorts, furniture, and even up here, your choice of handsomely bound baby books. Menons, the talcum powder people, invited mothers to write in for their combination baby book slash child care guides from the nurturing, fictitious Aunt Belle. This wonderfully titled book has spaces for individual entries on the first dozen pages. The remainder of the text is an infant care manual, courtesy of the U.S. Department of Labor Children's Bureau. It is personalized for a community with advertisements from local businesses. Checks for deposits in the child's bank account were printed on perforated forms um, on leaves bound in at the front and back. You'd go present this to the merchant, they'd sign, and after you'd had 10 purchases, they would de deposit $1 in your child's account, not in yours. Birth certificate registration from the Bureau of Vital Statistics of the State Board of Health was a requirement early in the 20th century. This central record keeping, besides being just, quote, a legal introduction to human society, unquote, as this booklet claimed, aided the local chamber of commerce to pair its business members with likely customers. One of the modern criteria for being a developed country is having centralized record keeping of infant births. In a developing country, you may not see registration until the child is several years old. In other words, past the danger of infant mortality and decimating early childhood diseases. In 1914, Mrs. Max West of the U.S. Department of, Child of Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Labor's Children's Bureau, first extracted government reports on child rearing. This was scooped up by publishers who issued congratulatory baby books from local merchants such as a bank in Jacksonville, Florida on the left, and a furniture and rug merchant in Lebanon, Pennsylvania on the right, and a dairy in Omaha, Nebraska. Insurance companies ch chimed in, and they had their own interest in seeing better babies and fitter families and customers. Everyone loves this one. You know, not bad for a cover from a booklet from the Illinois Bankers Life Assurance Company, right? It's nice to find a prospectus which pitched a new baby book to booksellers and department stores because we get to see what was considered important and attractive and what these things cost in their various bindings from plain to fancy. Now, we don't collect much post-World War II because our budget only runs so far, but this title is one we are collecting comprehensively. This example is a twofer. A hospital and bank teamed up on this one. One of our researchers is writing a history of the largesse a new baby receives. This began with gift lists in early baby books, some quite meticulously kept. 
It moved on to savings accounts and baby banks, uh, and baby banks, literally, banks that were made to look like baby books. Taking this through today, the pitches for contributions to babies college fund. Altogether, I call it the history of baby booty, and we should be, <laughs> and we should be seeing the story in, Smith, in Smithsonian Magazine before too long. Beginning in 1928, the Mother's Aid of the Chicago Lying-In Hospital published a best-selling book combining record-keeping and expert advice. We are trying to collect every variant of the work so that researchers may track changes in emphasis and coverage over the decades. 1928 subtitle shows the influence of the Better Baby movement, quote, including scientific charts which will, which will provide practical service to mother and growing child, unquote. A couple of its pages record the child's questions about religion and questions about sex. Each printing has a wonderful colophon, tracking how many cumulative copies have been sold and the details and rigors of producing the current one. Quote, each page required four separate plates and passed through the press four times. To complete this edition, more than a million press impressions were made and more than a carload, meaning a railroad car, a paper especially manufactured to take pen and pencil notes with as perfectly as the fresh pastel colors, unquote. In 1958, with the 29th printing, whose department store sales box is shown here, the subtitle dropped scientific charts and now reads, quote, a record book which will prove of value to parent, doctor, and school as child grows to maturity, unquote. Inside, mother's notes have been replaced by parents' notations. Nearly 20 million copies of the title were printed in the first 30 years. The sixth completely overhauled edition appeared in 1989. In this edition, the authors described their, consult their consultations with experts to, quote, reflect the concerns of parents of the 1990s. There is discussion of caregivers and nursery school, baby's nest egg, and preparing for college education, unquote. Sections such as child's questions about sex and questions about religion are absent, probably because these issues were all resolved since the world of 1958, when I was born. <laughs> One of our researchers, all of our researchers, have shown an interest in baby books which reveal an individual's personal narrative. Over here, quote, on this day, baby smoked his first cigarette. Unquote. In 1920, the, down here, the grown-up Robert wrote in the lower left-hand corner, quote, I am still smoking. <laughs> this daily diary of little Hugh, started on July 28th, is a gem. The following day here, quote, at 10 o'clock, he had his first meal and showed himself to be a vigorous little fellow who could be counted on to do his part in the feeding process, unquote. August 2nd, quote, Mother wonders if her baby ever cries. When all the babies are wheeled down the hall at mealtime, Hugh maintains a calm, contented manner while the less polite babies voice their impatience in lusty cries. <laughs> August 4th. Mother must take back what she said on August 2nd. <laughs> August 5th. Today, Hugh was circumcised. As an anesthetic, 
Whiskey water was administered just before the operation. A nurse who was present reported that Hugh did not hold his liquor well, but became shockingly drunk. <laughs> this all at the tender age of one week, unquote, and during prohibition. Whiskey and brandy were removed from the pharmacopoeia of the United States in 1916, but uh, as the 18th Amendment ran its course, prescriptions and licenses for medicinal whiskey were commonplace. And I think we're going to have some medicinal wine later. The journal continues with the parents looking forward to taking the baby home, which finally happens at the end of the second week. And it, it was a different world then. There also is an intense interest in book subjects' tangible connections to history. This very beat-up or, or well-loved book from 1916 contains ephemera from a girl's life and education in New York City. But the kicker is on the backside of this real photo of this portrait of Jesse, a real photo postcard, at age one year, one month in 1918. Quote, this card has been on the battlefield over in France. Unquote. This record of a boy in Red Bud, Illinois in 1914 is completed posthumously 30 years later, concluding killed in action over Czechoslovakia July 21st, 1944. A doctoral student in material culture at the University of Delaware, Laura Pascali, was intrigued about the girl whose life was captured from 1906 to 1908 by this London-published book. Laura pointed out that the bulk of the journal was completed following the child's death because many entries were written in the past tense. And then she notes she interpreted the handwriting and determined that um, on the baby's weight page that the girl's death was noted. Janet Golden, a researcher from Rutgers, wrote an authoritative book on the social history of wet nursing in America from Breast to Bottle. came out in 1996. Janet looked at this and told us that the type of infant feeder, right here, shown here, was known as the baby killer because it was nearly impossible to sterilize the long rubber tube and that this feeder had been discontinued in America but was still in use in Europe at this time and thus showed up in this baby book. Laura and Janet each gave me permission to use their names and talk about their research. Otherwise, I would not reveal what they worked on at our library. They are among a growing number of historians, sociologists, graphic designers, and others who are doing research in the collection. As we amass hundreds of books, new potential research topics presented or differed over the, over the decades. Certainly, the section titles under which entries were made changed. In this 1891 book, a parent was guided to make a record of cute sayings and sensible remarks. A different child made for a different lexicon. Here's one of my favorite categories, bright sayings, which just seems more playful than quaint sayings, although I suppose that's what, one, what a queen would utter. This is interesting. A local newspaper column in this book uh, paste in this book, which collected children's amusing vocabulary and, and phrases. And this was years before Art Linkletter went on the air with kids say the darndest things. And I think Terry might be the only one who remembers Art Linkletter. Oh, okay. <laughs> the books always contain a piece in which to record, a place in which to record first words and memorable statements. 
And I think we've developed a large enough collection to support research into how experts in babies' speech could develop and what parents actually observed and chose to record for posterity. Over time, the tone of the books themselves changed. The records, start, the records started changing from the third person to the first, from the point of view of the parents writing about our baby to babies seemingly writing about me and my and I. This book's title and its contents are caught in between the two viewpoints. Not that I noticed it at first, because I just kind of got stunned by the quality of the pastel illustrations and, <laughs> and the baby who was, who was breathtaking. <laughs> this World War II book, though, gets into, the, into that first-person voice, giving instructions from the baby to pop and to mom and does it in a really hip, happening way, such as, hey, Doc, what's the dope? <laughs> we may have just scratched the surface of non-English language books, such as the Spanish one from Mexico, so I don't know how widespread the baby book phenomenon is across the world. We're looking at specializations in focus, such as Jewish baby books in English and Hebrew, with no categories for christening or first Christmas books for adopted babies, books for African-American babies, which include a space for reporting the results of the sickle cell lab test, books for pre prematurely delivered babies, and I kid you not, books for pets and animals. There are lots of, bo there are lots of books for your kitty cat, books, plural. There are lots and lots of books, as well as for your dog. Because you want a place to keep vital information and notes about memorable events. It has the right format and contents. It's a baby book. Now, just like there was a Baedeker for everything, I expect the same is or will be true for baby books. We even collect the satirical models because you can't make fun of something if people aren't familiar with the original, right? <laughs> Here's one that really hits close to home for me. My middle-aged baby book. And teeth again. <laughs> Through eBay, we picked up a few copies of the Book of Baby Mine, begun by Melsina Burns Denny in Chicago in 1915. Denny's Cheerful pastel illustrations and poetry wrap around spaces for entering information such as names and place of birth, name and place of birth, tracing hand and footprints, recording first outings, birthdays, and other memorable events. It's a rare parent who persevered in completing the weight graph and, and height chart but handwritten notes about vaccination, illnesses, and diseases did tend to be carefully managed. The latter half of the book is an infant care manual offering advice on how to raise a healthy baby. Topics include airings, bathing your infant, diet, and handling various uh, illnesses. The most striking feature of Baby Mind, however, 
is that each copy is personalized with advertisements for products and services from a single city or town, facing the pages of the infant care manual. Local merchants often include a photography studio, insurance agencies and, and banks, pharmaceuticals and sundries, bread, and other wholesome foods, and of course, milk. In the wee small hours before the dawn, your baby might have uh, had the croup. So it was best to stoke the furnace and heat your house with coal that you could trust, whether you lived in Newark, New Jersey, or Charlotte, North Carolina, or wherever. Merchants pitched everything, from quality building materials to the best baking powder, here with unfortunate product placement uh, opposite instructions for baby's enema. <laughs> As we picked up a few copies, we saw that every copy was different. So we began collecting Baby Mine because of its variety of advertising, bindings, changes in text, and so forth. Most of these are available on eBay, uh, ranging from 5 to $30. Some are unused, some are very well documented. We now have 302 copies and counting in 34 editions and printings ranging from 1915 through 1974, including one very cheaply done pirated knockoff made in Canada. We're researching and collecting evidence of how the book was produced and distributed and are pleased to have located copies with original mailing envelopes, pink recommend your friends cards, and self-addressed stamped merchant reply postcards. And I was very happy to land, again on eBay, a printer's mock-up, penciling in changes from the 1938 edition to the 1941, making little changes from, such as the train, the train and automobile, to update in the next edition. The baby care manual was completely rewritten from 1938 to 1940. Sometime in the past 70 years, the glue dried and overlays popped off, showing the previous text and then what was to replace it. We're trying to determine whether the company's archives still exist and to locate salespeople who, to record their stories. Now, I leave you with a request and some advice. We invite folks to donate interesting baby books that they encounter, or even their own. A nurturing home is awaiting them in Los Angeles. And finally, one more ad from the book of Baby Mine. That's just plain, good old-fashioned advice as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. If Thomas Jefferson didn't keep a baby book, it was only because he was prevented. Because, as the locals know, he kept every other kind of book known to man. <laughs> Farm books, vegetable books, visitors' books, and everything else. Uh, so don't give up hope, Russell. You may find one yet. <laughs> uh, my first aphorism, I can just see it. <laughs> and I think I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Please join our speaker for an informal reception in the first floor Alderman Library Staff Lounge. <laughs>